You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's turn together to the last chapter of the prophecies of Daniel, chapter 12. We've chosen Daniel 12 this morning because it connects with our text of Revelation, chapter 5, about sealing and closing up and so forth. So we turn to Daniel 12, beginning at verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, What will the outcome of all of this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Revelation 5 on page 1918 of your Pew Bible. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth For under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept 
because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb standing as if, or looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, its seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, problems, we all have them. We all know about them. We all try to avoid them. Problems come in a multitude of shapes, sizes, and sorts. Problems and life often seem to go together. Yes, and I'm sure that the organizers of the Olympic Games would agree. Also, this past week, they had their share of problems. Security breaches, ice-making machines, breaking down of the oval... Limiting spectators at Cypress Mountain, concert casualties, crashes at the sliding center, unpredictable, if beautiful, sunny weather. In short, these Olympics in our backyard have not been without their problems and their issues. But nevertheless, all of these problems pale in significance to the particular problem that we have in our text of this morning. For there we do not have just a little problem, 
nor do we have a problem blown out of all proportion by the press. Now there we have something really, really major, something devastating, something that affects all of us, all of history, and all of the world. And what kind of a problem is it? Well, you can say it is a seal problem. It has to do with a scroll that has seven seals fixed to it. And furthermore, it has to do with the fact that no one is able to break the seals and open the scroll. Now, why is that such a big problem? At first glance, we have a hard time relating to all of this. We don't understand the pressing need. We don't appreciate the problem. We're not worried. But yet all of that changes when we begin to understand just what it is that this scroll represents and stands for. So this morning, beloved, let us, as we continue our series on the book of Revelation, Turn to chapter 5. And I preached to you, and you may have your pick on either one of two themes or both, a huge problem in heaven, or who can open the scroll. First of all, we're going to take a look at a vexing scroll. Secondly, at a slain lamb. And thirdly, at a, a new song. Well, beloved, as we turn our attention to chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, we need to realize that this is a continuation of what was revealed in chapter 4. There, John in chapter 4, verse 1, is invited, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And where is he being invited to? Well, he is being invited into the throne room of heaven itself into the headquarters of the universe, you may say. Yes, and now in chapter 5, John is still in a visionary way in this throne room, this heavenly throne room. But that's not all, for as we saw last time, there is also someone on the throne. Who is on the throne? Well, chapter 4, verse 8 reveals it's none other than the Lord God Almighty himself. He is there bathed in brilliant light. Yes, God the Father is on the throne. But here in chapter 5, he's still on the throne. And John sees him there. But he also sees something else when he looks a little closer. He sees a scroll in his right hand. What's a scroll? Well, perhaps you've seen one. It's like a cylinder or a roll. In in actual fact, it's a long roll of paper or papyrus. And often it's rolled around a stick or at least two sticks so you can move it back and forth. And John also says that this scroll has has writing on both sides of it. And as well, attached to it are seven seals. Now, the writing on both sides means that this scroll is very, very full. Full, almost to overflowing. 
And the fact that it has seals on it means that not just anyone can open it. You know, if something has a seal on it, only those who are in authority, who have the right standing, may actually break the seal. And notice it also has seven seals. Not one, but seven seals on it means that it's considered to be complete. And of course, all of that is interesting, but what does it mean? What does this scroll stand for? What does it represent? What does it signify? Well, you can say that it represents the unfolding of God's predetermined plan for all things. It contains the destiny of mankind. It describes the history of the world. It holds the completeness of God's plan for his kingdom and for his people. And now imagine, just imagine being able to look into it. Would you not like to know what is written in that scroll about you and about your future? Or maybe not. In any case, it's all there. Every event, every happening, every development, personal, communal, national, international, it's all there. This scroll represents history. But you know, still to look into it is easier said than done. For this scroll, it also says, is in the right hand of him who sits on the throne. God has it firmly in his hand. And notice he has it in his right hand, which is the hand of power and the hand of dominion. In other words, He is in control of our history. But then there's also something else, and that is this scroll needs to be opened. For this plan of God to be activated, for it to become reality, the seals need to be broken, and the scroll has to be unraveled or unrolled. But who will do that? Who will open the scroll? Notice that next a mighty angel comes forward and and asks in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? He says it in a loud voice because it's meant to reach to the ends of the earth. And he says in a loud voice, not who is able, but notice who is worthy. Who can perform this special task? Who can break these seals? Who can unleash these forces and these events in this scroll? Who can activate this plan that will lead to the consummation of all things? Who is worthy? And the answer, no one. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. No one can open it. What a crushing, crashing disappointment. 
And upon hearing that devastating news, John says in verse 4, I wept and I wept because no one was found who is worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It appears that the promise of chapter 4, verse 1, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this will remain unfulfilled. Nothing is going to take place after this. History is in a stalemate. It is stuck like a broken record. You know, John understands instantly that this means only one thing. Namely, that God's plan for the history of the world is not going to happen. There'll be no return of Jesus Christ. There'll be no new Jerusalem. There'll be no resurrection of the dead. There will be no new heaven and a new earth. It all hangs in the balance. And if the seals are not broken, it will all come to nothing. And then history really will be meaningless and a matter of vanity. And beloved, can you imagine that? Can you imagine living in a world, and many people do, living in a world going nowhere? Can you picture yourself as part of an existence that has really no meaning or true purpose attached to it? Or even worse, for that is the real problem here, can you cope with a life made by God but not redeemed by God? An unfinished plan of salvation an incomplete redemption, a faith without climax and fulfillment, a religion with a Jesus who saves all for nothing. That's John's greatest nightmare. But is that now what happens? Does the scroll remain sealed forever? No, for... Suddenly, an elder, one of the 24, comes up to John and consoles him. And he consoles him with the fantastic news, Do not weep, John. See, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and to break its seven seals. What a loaded sentence from the elder. First, John is told to stop crying. Second, he is told that someone has appeared who is able, who is worthy, who is suited to open the scroll and to break its seals. And who? Who can do this? Notice he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Maybe you recall that you've heard that language before. You can find it in Genesis 49, where Israel's Savior is predicted to be the lion from the tribe of Judah. In other words, this lion has the power, the majesty, and the fierceness 
to do this. But notice there's also another name mentioned here by the elder, namely the root of David. And that comes from Isaiah 11, a popular Advent text, where we are told that a a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. This root of Jesse and of David, Isaiah says, will come to judge the needy. Give justice to the poor, slay the wicked, cause the wolf to live with the lamb, and the leopard to lie down with the goat. In short, this this root, when he comes, will, will come to transform all of creation. He's going to bring justice and peace to all the peoples and to all the earth. Well, now in light of the appearing Of this majestic figure, John is told, do not weep. Someone is here. Someone great and glorious is here. Someone who is really the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament is here. And he is worthy to open the scroll. Hallelujah. We do not know at this point, but it seems that John is weeping so much that he cannot see clearly. Or else his face is still turned to the ground, for in any case, upon hearing what the elder says, he looks up, and when he looks up, what does he see? He sees what constitutes really the heart of this vision. He sees not the root of David, not the lion. But he says he sees a lamb looking as it, if, as it has been slain. You know, here, after what the elders said, he was expecting a lion, and instead of a lion, he sees a lamb. And more specifically, he sees a slain lamb. The lion gives way to the lamb. Yes, and what a lamb. Interestingly, in the Greek language, there are two words for lamb. The one describes an adult lamb, and is used, for example, by John the Baptist when he says about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another word for lamb describes a a young little lamb. And now guess, guess as to which one John uses here. John really says he sees a young little lamb. Literally, John says, then I saw a little lamb or a little slain lamb. A lamb that's been slaughtered sacrificed, put to death, butchered. Only do not let that little lamb catch you off guard, for John also says he has seven horns. 
And the seven stands for completeness again, and the horn stand for power and might. And as well, he has seven eyes, and the eyes indicate that he sees everything and therefore knows everything. And in addition, mention is made of the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And these spirits are being sent on a mission and show us this lamb is not only supremely powerful and completely knowledgeable, but he's also universally active when it comes to the doing of his will. And there's one more thing about this lamb that you need to take note of, and that is that John says this little lamb is standing in the center of the throne. He's not near the throne. He's not beside the throne. No, he is right in the center. In other words, he's where God the Father is. He's at the heart, the center, the focal point, the control tower of the universe. So what does all of that mean? It's a startling reminder to us, beloved, that the one who redeems the world is the one who has suffered and died. Ages ago, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that he would, when he said he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. When he came, he came as the suffering servant of the Lord. And indeed, his earthly life was full of endless suffering, ever-increasing suffering, excruciating suffering. And when he now presents himself, he does so as the one who knows all about sorrows and wounds and suffering and deaths. And that can only be a comfort for us and for all of God's people throughout the ages for how often has suffering not been our lot in life. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. And how true and reassuring that is. But then, beloved, if this little slain lamb points to suffering, he also points to something else, to grace. Costly grace, precious grace. For why? Why did the lion turn into the lamb? Remember, the the elder says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John looks up, he sees a lamb, not a lion. And why did the lamb have to suffer? And why was he slain? And the answer again is in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took our infirmities upon himself. This lamb was slain to pay for your sins and my sins. 
He went to the cross for all of us who believe in him. He went there to get rid of our iniquities, to pay for all of our transgressions, and to secure our peace. You see, this lamb may have seven horns and seven eyes, but he's eminently approachable. He gives his life for his people, and he continues to restore and heal his people. There is grace to be found with him. Endless grace, boundless grace, Redeeming grace. Yes, and all of that is good to know, beloved, as our, as our lives move forward and as we encounter problems. For as we move on, we do not do so in loneliness, in uncertainty, or in fear. Now we can move forward boldly. For behold, who is at the center of the throne? But our Savior, our Lamb, our most precious Redeemer. But look again, for there is something else that this little Lamb does, this little slain Lamb, that that is now hugely, immensely significant. Verse 7 says it all, He came. And he took the scroll from the hand of him who sat on the throne. You know what that means? The lion who has become the lamb, who is our savior, takes all of history into his hands. He takes the present, he takes the future. He takes all of our days and all of our years. And as we shall see in the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 1, he starts to break the seals and to open the scroll. But before he breaks the seals and opens the scroll, something else happens. For as he takes the scroll into his hands, the four living creatures... And the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb. But then as they fall down, notice they do so with harps and with golden bowls of incense in their hands. Why do they have harps? Because in addition to everything else that they do, they're also musical accompanists. And why do they have bowls? Well, because these bowls represent the prayers of the saints addressed to God. And so what a sight. All those creatures and all those elders lying there prostrate before the Lamb. But you know, still the sight is nothing compared to what comes next. For suddenly praise explodes in heaven. 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders sing a new song. A new song for a new revelation of God's glory. Look at verse 9 and 10. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. You know, if you look carefully, the language of this song is the language of the Exodus. It reminds one of what God did to Egypt and how he there purchased a people by the blood of the Lamb. And the song also reminds us that those whom he has purchased are now an international gathering. Every tribe, language, people, nation, Jews, Greeks, Romans, Canadians, Africans, Chinese, Koreans, you name it. And the song also informs us as to why God did so. Namely because he's building a new kingdom. And establishing a new priesthood. And finally, this song speaks about the future of the saints. A future, notice, filled with serving and reigning. Interesting. Serving and reigning. The what, the who, the why, and the where to. They're all here. But yet notice as well, no sooner has the inner circle of praise made up of creatures and elders ended, and a second, more numerous circle can be heard. And this time, Scripture says it's made up of thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands of angelic beings. And in a loud voice, they too sing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. What a song that must have been. Talk about a mass choir. And talk about what they sing about the seven great qualities Ascribe to the perfect Lamb of God, our Savior. Oh, and notice, even that's not quite the end of the story. For to the music of the inner and the outer circles is now added the music of the entire cosmos of all of creation. John says every creature chimes in, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, the sea or in the sea. And together they all sing. Everything sings. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then it ends with the four living creatures saying, Amen. And the 24 elders falling down and worshiping. 
So what is this song with three choruses teach us? Surely that the future of the redeemed is secure. The Lamb is in control. The Lamb is victorious and is working on making his victory complete in every respect. The outcome is no longer in doubt. The seals are going to be broken by the Lamb and the scroll will be unraveled. And the future that God has ordained for his people and for the world and for all of creation will truly, truly come to pass. And in view of all of that, you and I may live in great confidence. True, the problems of life are many. And every day, it seems, we have to deal with them. But take heart. We now know who is in charge. We know where this world is going. We know where our lives are headed. They're all headed towards the one who sits on the throne. To the lamb who was slain. And who is indeed worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we come to you this morning and we we stand in awe before your greatness and the greatness of your revelation. Father, here we are as little people and as little people we are allowed to peek, as it were, into heaven. And we are being reminded of great and glorious things that truly all of life and all of history is in your hand, Father. And that you have given the scroll to your son, Jesus Christ. And that he is the one who breaks the seals and rolls the scroll and moves history forward to its great and glorious consummation. Father, we pray that we all may get the bigger picture and that we may live our lives every day within this bigger picture. And because of it, may we live our lives in thankfulness and praise and holiness and glory forever and ever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.